The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Let's open our Bibles now to Luke chapter 1. If you need a Bible, grab one from the rack in front of you and turn with me to page 855 to Luke in the New Testament and Luke chapter 1 as we continue now in our third week in the sermon series, The Gospel According to Luke. As the physician Luke is recounting for us the details of the person and work of Jesus as we're still approaching birth narratives, the promise and fulfillment of the birth narratives here in Luke chapter 1. Last week we looked at an elderly priest named Zechariah who was given a promise that both he and his wife Elizabeth would bear a son. And we know that son to be John, who we call John the Baptist, who is going to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord Jesus. And that announcement was made by the angel Gabriel, who is now, six months later, going to make another announcement that we call the Annunciation, the announcement to Mary of the birth of Jesus Christ. And so as we approach this text, uh, which is again a very much Advent-themed, Christmas-themed, which is going to be true for the first uh, two chapters of Luke, uh, I want us to approach the text with the, the mindset of approaching a large waterfall. Think of a massive waterfall, maybe that you've been to or you've seen on TV or in pictures, whatever the case. Uh, maybe you've been to Niagara Falls or maybe you've been to another impressive waterfall somewhere. The, the thing about large and impressive waterfalls is that you oftentimes, as you're maybe hiking to them or approaching, uh, you oftentimes hear them before you see them. You hear the thunderous plume of water uh, coming down before you ever lay your eyes on the impressive sight. I want you to have that, that word picture in mind this morning as we, we see a depiction uh, not of overflowing water, but a depiction of overflowing grace. Something of a tidal wave overflowing waterfall of grace that God is bringing into the world because this text is billowing large and loud with the grace of God. So be on the lookout for that theme of overflowing grace and the echoes of the overflowing grace as we see the Annunciation to Mary here in Luke chapter 1. So let's pray and we'll ask God's blessing upon the Scriptures and then hear it together. Father in heaven, we come now to your word and we pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would enable us uh, with the minds that you've given to us, the eyes that you've blessed us with, uh, to approach the Scriptures as your living truth. We pray now, Lord, that the Holy Spirit might guide both our reading and hearing of the Scriptures, that we might receive the Scriptures as your divine truth. So, Lord, illuminate our minds that we might believe according to the Word that you've given, and also so follow your Word with the obedience of faith that comes through the knowledge of faith by the Spirit as it communicates to us the Word of Christ. So, Lord, bless the reading and proclamation of Your Word to Your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, friends, hear the Word of God, Luke chapter 1 at verse 26. Uh, we're reading through verse 38, the birth of Jesus foretold in the Annunciation to Mary. Hear now the Word of God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. 
And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. And so may he write its truth in our hearts today. So as you have the word picture of a waterfall in your mind, an overflowing uh, abundance, not of water, but of grace. I want you to see this overflowing abundance of grace here in this text, in this passage. And I want us to see it under three dimensions. Uh, first of all, the reality that grace disrupts and breaks into our lives. Grace disrupts. And then secondly, grace descends. It flows down from heaven. Grace disrupts and then grace descends. And then finally, grace assures and brings peace. Grace disrupts, grace descends, grace assures here in this passage that we uh, have some growing familiarity with. Again, continuing to acknowledge that these uh, so Christmas texts uh, are oftentimes located in our minds, and appropriately so, only during the Advent season. It's helpful for us to re-examine them uh, without that calendar burden so to make every connection to Christmas, but to see how God's redemptive work in history is being realized here, and Luke is telling us how that story unfolds. And that is the unfolding story of God's grace as it disrupts, descends, and assures. So first of all, in verses 26 to 29, let's see how Mary's life is really quite disrupted by all of this. Uh, you could wonder and maybe sympathize with Mary as uh, Mary is having all this happen to her and she's thinking to herself, my goodness, an angel and uh, Gabriel and he's saying this to me and how in the world am I going to explain all of this that he's relaying to me? But we know that what was on her mind most of all, Luke helps us with this detail there in verse 29, that what she is most thoughtful about, what she's most reflective about is that verse 29 says that she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. That she's worried about what the angel Gabriel has said to her back in verse 28. It's not that an angel is before Mary, but how the angel addresses Mary that she is so interested in. It wasn't the appearance of Gabriel or even the news that he brought. Mary is greatly troubled 
And that word there, troubled, carries this Greek emphasis of being deeply perplexed, deeply confused, even to the point of frustration. Why? Why would you say that to me? Gabriel, why are you talking to me in this way? So this this forceful waterfall of grace is coming here, disrupting Mary's life, coming with force, and the angel's word of greeting to Mary, who is called favored one. Uh, the, the, The description favored one is actually from the same root word that we get the word grace from. And so the angel Gabriel is coming to Mary with the word of grace. And uh, he's saying to Mary, you can most literally translate it, Mary, grace to you. Greetings, O favored one, could also be meaning uh, grace to you. Grace to you, Mary. You are an object and a recipient of grace. Greetings, O favored one, means the Lord is with you. It means you are the object of grace and you are the recipient of grace. The Lord is with you. That's why Paul oftentimes will both begin and conclude his letters, grace to you, because it's from the same root as greetings. Charis in Greek. Grace to you. Greetings. It's the same root. And that's why Mary is so disturbed. What what Mary seems to be so focused on here is that she doesn't consider herself anyone of any importance to receive an angelic visitor to speak a word of favor to her. Gabriel greets her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Grace to you, Mary. You are an object and a recipient of grace. And Mary is saying, Me? Me? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a first century woman, a peasant girl without noble family in this instance, in this generation. And I think it's helpful to see that the Scriptures are honest about how Mary receives this greeting and this reaction because we would understand it. Mary receives this word from Gabriel that abounds in grace and her life is disrupted by it and she's asking the question, Why me? Who am I that an angel should speak to me that I am a favored one? What does this mean for me? It seems to get at the heart of the disruption that Mary is experiencing here as the grace of God is even disrupting her life. How how could I possibly be an object of God's grace? How could I be the recipient of God's grace? So much so that Gabriel's next word to her in verse 30 is, the angel says to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found, verse 30, favor with God. He affirms in verse 30 what he's already said in verse 28. You are favored of God. You are a one, a person who is a recipient of grace. Don't be afraid, Mary. It's really true that God has favored you. It has implications for your life that are going to turn it upside down. As we know the story, Mary is effectively engaged to Joseph. That's what a betrothal means in this time. But she will conceive not by Joseph, which is a major scandal. And Mary's life is disrupted by this reality, upended. Mary's life is disrupted as grace is coming to her because she is the object and recipient of God's grace. And this is true of anyone who experiences the grace of God. As the grace of God comes into their life, things get flipped upside down or really set right back, appropriately so. Mary's life is upended. What the angel Gabriel is saying to her is going to change her life forever. It's never going to be the same because God's grace comes with such force and such effect that we can't stay where we've been. We can't stay the same. Grace disrupts. And what is so disruptive about it? 
What we see then here is the the descent of grace in verses 30 to 33. The explanation of how all this is going to happen. Gabriel says to Mary in verse 31, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Gabriel is explaining the reason for the disruption, that she should not fear this unmarried virgin teenager because she's about to bear a son, And if that doesn't sound assuring to Mary until you realize what the good news is all about, Gabriel is saying to Mary, Mary, you have found favor with God and you will conceive in your womb. And this child is more than just a child. This child is the embodiment, the personification of grace itself. Grace is coming down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit, Mary, to fill your womb with a child. Grace is coming down from heaven. You know, we have this tendency, I think, the reason why this is so important to think about grace descending in the person of Jesus Christ is that you and I, living in our time, have this tendency to think about grace as some kind of substance, some kind of spiritual magic pixie dust that gets sprinkled on top of things and God's grace is that which gets added to our lives and sprinkled upon our lives. Uh, But grace is not a substance. Grace is a person. The personification of God's grace is Jesus Christ. And the angel Gabriel is saying to Mary, grace is descending to fill your womb in this child who is grace himself. This is the gift of the Father's grace of Christ himself. And what do you do when you receive the grace of God? You receive Christ Himself. You receive Christ in union with Him, sustaining you and blessing you and transforming you and forgiving you. Grace is not a substance. Grace is a person. Grace is Jesus Christ. And Mary is being told that this person will be the child in your womb. So when Gabriel tells Mary that she has found grace, Gabriel is not telling us something about Mary And listen here very closely to this. This is not about how special Mary is. This is not about Mary as a a repository of God's grace. That's not the point of all. This is all about something that is true about Jesus. So we must make this point very emphatically because it's here. There are points of departure of understanding about who Mary is. And we must be clear about this. There are other traditions that take this annunciation to Mary in a completely different direction and end up understanding what Gabriel is saying to Mary as something to the effect of hail Mary full of grace as if Mary herself was full of grace. But Gabriel is not saying that Mary is full of grace, that Mary herself is full of grace as if she is some kind of reservoir or depository of grace that she can make available to us. No, Gabriel is saying, Mary, you have found favor with God. God is being gracious to you. You are a recipient of grace. You are not, Mary, the originator of grace. That means Gabriel tells her that she has found grace and favor with God. She is a recipient of grace, not a dispenser of grace. Mary gets grace Hear me extremely clearly. Mary possesses no grace within herself to give. It is all that which comes from God that she 
receives. Gabriel's announcement to Mary is the announcement of a Savior for sinners. For sinners like Mary. Because Jesus is the fountain of grace. Jesus is the mediator. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the one who intercedes and blesses and saves and redeems, not Mary. Gabriel's message is that Jesus, His grace Himself, has come not only into Mary's womb to be born of her, but into her heart that Mary herself might be born again by the Spirit through the one that she is giving birth to, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the source of all God's grace. Jesus is the substance of all of God's grace. And we can see that by what Gabriel tells us about Jesus. Look at, look at the description that Gabriel gives here in verse 31. First of all, we should, we should see that He will be from your womb, Mary. He will be your son. And what we believe about Jesus is, first of all, that He is a true man. Really, truly man. Truly man and born of woman. Gabriel's announcement earlier to Zechariah came amongst the glory of the temple and the, 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 the incense offering and the evening sacrifice and all of the glory that came with that announcement. But six months later, this announcement of the birth of Jesus is without any fanfare whatsoever. There's no a clamoring of crowds and attention that Zechariah's announcement got. Mary's announcement is, gets no attention whatsoever without fanfare or drama taking place 50 miles north of Jerusalem in this tiny town of Nazareth to an otherwise nondescript girl named Mary. And what we should see and appreciate in this is the true humanity of Jesus Christ. That Jesus will walk dusty streets and get His feet dirty. That He will know the ordinary sorrows of this world. He will live in obedience. He will bleed and die as a true Man, And that resounds here as Gabriel says, Mary, He will be from your womb. Truly man as born of woman. Truly man. But not just that He is man, also He is Son of the Most High. There, look again at verse 32 as Gabriel says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. That Mary's true Son, who is truly man, will be at the same time truly God, the God of glory Himself. This is what we believe about Jesus Christ, that He is conceived of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. The eternal Son of God was united to a human nature so that Jesus is both God and man in one person, united forever in true humanity and true divinity. And friends, what we believe in the Christian church about Jesus Christ is utterly unique in all world's systems of religion and philosophy. Utterly unique. And the reason why this is so important with the picture of grace descending in the true humanity of Jesus and the true divinity of Jesus is that this is what is at the core of the message of the gospel. Every other world system of religion and philosophy tells you what you need to do to make your way to God. What duties you need to perform, what acts of service you need to offer, what you need to do to make yourself acceptable before God. And it is only in the Christian faith, it is only in the gospel of Jesus Christ that the message is not what you do, but rather what God has done 
in His descending to come to us. The good news of the Gospel is not what you do before God, but what God does for you that you couldn't possibly do for yourself. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. That He is truly man and truly God. And the beauty of the Gospel is that you can go to Him because He has first come to us. And this God-man is not just the God-man. He is the Messiah. Not only He is one of us, not only He is the Son of the Most High, but also that He is the King. Still in verses 32 and verse 33, Gabriel says, And the Lord God will give to Him the throne of His father David, and He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of His kingdom there will be no end. Mary, this child will be a king, and not just a king among other kings, but the King of kings, the long-promised one to inherit the throne of David, an heir to David's throne. This is the one that Isaiah speaks about. Again, another text from Isaiah 9 that we're familiar with in the Christmas season especially. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But listen to what Isaiah goes on to say about the reign of this king. He says... Of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That this true man who is true God is the true king. The true king to reign over all people, reign over all places, reign over all kingdoms as the kingdom of heaven descends to earth in the reign and rule of Jesus Christ, the true man, the true God, who has come to reign over all things. This is what the Christian faith believes. That the grace of God is here disrupting Mary's life in this announcement, transforming and unsettling. That the grace of God is descending as Jesus comes as King where every knee shall bow. And you could appreciate the fact that if you were in Mary's shoes, you would have a lot of questions about all of this. A lot of questions about how this is all going to work. How it's all going to play out. And so that's why I want us to see in the closing of the passage the assurance of God's grace. Because Gabriel has already told Mary in verse 34, or verse 30, don't be afraid. But again in verse 34 makes it clear that her heart is still bursting with questions, which we could absolutely excuse her for, can't we? Who can blame her? Verse 34, she asks, How does this work? How, how does this work since I am a virgin, she asks. I just don't get it. So Gabriel explains, and his answers bring assurance to Mary. And before we look at the question and the answer and how this all works out, I want you to think about the fact that you and I oftentimes ask questions. We have questions on top of questions, things that we want answers to, things that we don't understand, operations of God's sovereign mystery that we would like a little bit of elucidation and clarification upon because they're wrapped and shrouded in mystery. Every one of us asks questions. Why do you do this? Why this timing? Why now? Why did you? Or how could you? Or why would you? Fill in the blank. We all ask them. 
Look how God's answers through the angel Gabriel bring assurance to Mary. First, that in verse 35, this will be a work of the Spirit of God. Gabriel says, the Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Like at the work of the Holy Spirit at the dawn of history, breathing life into Adam, the Holy Spirit will overshadow Mary, so the Spirit will, by sovereign will, bring about the conception of the true humanity of Jesus Christ, the God-man, this second Adam, the promised seed of the woman who is coming to crush the head of the serpent, that God will do it by the agency, the sovereignty, by the power of His Holy Spirit to overshadow Mary and so to conceive in her virgin womb. Gabriel adds this in verse 36, that your cousin Elizabeth is also with child. And Mary would have known that because Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. She's now six months with child. Elizabeth, who would have been in a long line of women like Sarah and Rachel and Hannah, who at that point in their life had given up hope of ever having a child. And Gabriel is saying to Elizabeth and to Mary, God can do it. God can do it. God has power by means of the agency of His Holy Spirit to accomplish what He will. So, verse 37 makes the point, nothing will be impossible with God. This is really the answer to the ultimate question, isn't it? Why and, and how and by what means and for what purpose and all the questions that we could ask, this is the answer in verse 37. Again, Mary, nothing is impossible with God. This is the final answer to the question of how that Mary's understandable, fearful heart is asking. Nothing is impossible with God. This quiets Mary's heart. I want us to appreciate that here in the text. The, the resignation that Mary experiences uh, in her heart to quiet herself under God's sovereign wisdom that she can't quite make sense of and doesn't seem to understand fully, yet she receives with full trust as she quiets herself under God's sovereign hand as the question how and why fills her heart. The answer, nothing is impossible with God, is enough for Mary's tender heart. Nothing will be impossible with God. And listen, I just want to say to us today, and I think what the Scriptures are saying about the, the, the majesty of this annunciation is both a powerful word to us in all of our varied circumstances because I would venture to guess that whoever you are and whatever it is you face, that what Gabriel says to Mary is exactly what you need to have assured to your heart as well. When you're asking how, how and why and for what reason and why in this way and at this time, Nothing is impossible with God. If you find yourself asking, how, how will it be? How can I overcome this trial? How will I endure the next few days? How will I face this diagnosis? How, Lord, are your promises going to be fulfilled? How is it possible when we hear the good news of Jesus who's coming to bring a kingdom, when we see a world that has manifest evidence of such evil and wickedness that seems to prevail, and you're asking yourself the question, Lord, uh, will your kingdom ever come? How long do we have to be patient uh, with, with all the wickedness that we see? How long will this take? Or perhaps, Lord, how long will I have to wait for the promises of the covenant to be realized in the hearts of my children? 
my young children or perhaps my adult children who, who have maybe perhaps wandered away so very far from God's grace. Lord, how long will you take to fulfill your promises? How long will I have to wait and how will these things be? And whatever your question is, for whatever point of application you're asking how or why or when, eventually somewhere, somewhere you, friends, you have just got to get to a point where Mary where the faith of Mary is able to resign her heart to simply trust that God knows what He is doing. And you are able to quietly say, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. And because nothing is impossible for you, Lord, I believe that you can do what I see to be impossible, but believe that you can do it and will do it. Let it be to me according to your word. So what... What is it? What is it that you need to trust God for today? What is it that the Scriptures are saying to you in remembrance of God's power that you need to be reminded that He is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or think according to the power that is at work in Him? In what ways are you reminded of needing to trust that promise again? So to say, Lord, in so many ways I have in my own mind restricted your capacity to accomplish your word. Let me say again, Lord, I trust you and nothing is impossible for you. Because everything that you need is here in the promise of the grace of Jesus Christ. Even if it disrupts your life. As Mary's life is disrupted. So to see the grace of God descending in the person of Jesus Christ, so to bring about the assurance of God's grace that can quiet your heart no matter the circumstance so that you can say, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Luke's point in all of this is to say to you and I that the one that is promised to Mary is the one who is promised to all of us who will both disrupt our life as He descends into our life to bring the assurance of God's grace into our life. And friends, we are freshly in need of that all of the time. No matter where we are and what we face is the promise of Jesus Christ who is coming into the world for you. So we should believe this with all of our hearts and receive it warmly and gladly with the promise of faith. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank You for Your Word and its promise to us that grace is not a substance but a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is coming into the world, who has come into the world, who indeed has come into our lives. And we pray, Father, come into our lives to disrupt us from the ways in which we have believed that we are the Lord of our own lives, to direct us to a life of faith and trust in Him. Give us this grace of assurance, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.